good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. It's good to see my mother and father-in-law, yeah. mom and dad, Bab, in the house of God. Good to see you guys. Amen. It's also good to have Sister Rachel back from Wales. We've missed you. Brother Chad's missed you terribly. And then we have with us today special friends, Andy and Bonnie Hunt from Lafayette, Louisiana. So good to see you guys. Amen. And then I have another couple here that from, drove down from Jasper, Alabama. We met them almost four years ago in Portland. And they've been sober now. Well, I probably met them five, six years ago. But they've been sober now almost four years. Mark and Dawn are here. It's good to see you guys. Awesome. That's powerful. So that's exciting. God's just good. If you missed last Wednesday night, I'm telling you, you missed a fantastic Bible lesson. Brother Chad brought a lesson to us, and it was invigorating and stirring and challenging, and we learned things. And so I wanted to encourage you to come on Wednesday night at 6.30. You, uh, I think we're calling it Partnership U, but uh, it's just a time of teaching and discussion and fellowship, and it's just awesome what God's doing there. So I felt like the Holy Spirit was pleased with the whole service this past Wednesday night. So just please try to come Wednesday at 6.30. I want to talk to you a little bit about the Holy Spirit today, what we call the third person of the Godhead. I uh, couldn't have scripted it better. Shannon and the worship team was singing about the Holy Spirit to come and fall on us, fresh wind, fresh fire. We've heard about what's happened in Asbury University in Kentucky with this revival breaking out on this college campus and how it's thousands have come there and it's been an ongoing, continual revival. And now we're hearing about it breaking out on other college campuses around the country, some secular campuses. And you know, the question is, why can't that happen right here? You know, why won't it happen? What's hindering it from happening? I don't know about you, but I'd love to be in a constant state of fresh wind and fresh fire. I'd love for the Holy Spirit just to pour himself out on me and burn my heart and flame my life again. Have you ever been on fire for God? Wouldn't you like to be on fire for God again? Amen. Well, I believe we can. Next, please. The Holy Spirit. Luke 24, Jesus said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem till you're endued with power from on high. And Acts 1.8, he said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And Paul wrote in Ephesians 5.18, Be filled with the Spirit. Brother Chad's talked about this a lot in the past few months. Brother Sean did a whole sermon on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So this is something that's on our minds. But I could not get away from this the past several weeks. I just, I've been studying on how to hear from God and, and getting preparing for a small group on that. And I've been all excited about how to hear from God. 
But when I put my mind on what I was supposed to share, it was nothing but the Holy Spirit. Couldn't get away from it. It's like God's trying to tell us something here. God's trying to communicate something to us. Next, please. He's the third person of the Godhead. In the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God. That word's Elohim. It's a uni-plural noun. It means it's, it, it can stand alone as one or it can be plural. And in Genesis 1.26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. See, the Trinity is so real. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All three are persons. The, the Trinity is spelled out real clear at the baptism of Jesus we see it in Matthew 3.15, when he'd been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So you see the Son of God, you see the Spirit of God, and you hear the voice of the Father speaking, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. You see the Trinity. So God's one, but he's three. It's hard for a human to get our minds around that. So a lot of people want to get on one side or the other so they can try to understand it. But he's one, and he's three. Just like you're one, but you're a body, soul, and a spirit, you're three. Well, God's even more complicated than that because he's three persons. The person of the Father, the person of the Son, and the person of the Spirit. Next, please. He's invisible. The word in Hebrew is ruach. Ruach, it means it can be interpreted spirit. King James interpreted it ghost. And that's caused a lot of mystery over the years. Ghost sounds like a scary word. It's a creepy word. And uh, so when you talk about ghosts, some people get a little freaked out. In fact, there's a whole bunch of the church world out there that doesn't want anything to do with the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, because it's just too scary of a thing. But it means breath. It means wind. He's a spirit. He's invisible. He's a person, but he's invisible. But he's as much of a person as you and I are a person, or as God the Father, God the Son is a person. He's omnipresent. The Bible says in Psalms 139, David penned, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. So he's omnipresent. He's all over the world, everywhere at one time. And yet he's living inside of us. He's, the Bible says our bodies are his temple. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you're not your own? 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? So he's around you and he's in you. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, if you're born again, you've got the Spirit of the Lord living inside of your heart. Next, please. The Holy Spirit's a person. The Bible says the Spirit speaks to the churches. He intercedes for the believers. He leads and commands the disciples. He appoints elders. He searches all things. He knows the mind of God. He teaches the gospel to us. He dwells among and within believers. 
He distributes spiritual gifts. He gives life to those that believe. He leads us in the ways of God. He guides us into all truth. He helps us in our weakness and strengthens the believers. You can grieve him, lie to him, or blaspheme him. He's a person. I can't emphasize that enough. Because, see, you need a relationship with the Father. You need a relationship with the Son. And you need a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Next, please. He's the kindest person I've ever met in my life. He knows everything and is willing to teach me. He is everywhere, and yet he lives in my, even lives in my heart. He's all-powerful, yet gentle as a dove. He's full of life and energy and has a most amazing personality. He has promised to guide me into all truth. The fruit of his life is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, or kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He is as much a person as is God the Father and God the Son. And we all need a fresh relationship with him. It's hard to when you pray, which one of the three gods do you pray to? Well, Scripture speaks about praying to all three. You pray in Jesus' name. The Spirit came in his name. But you pray to the Father through the Son, through the Spirit. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father except through me. And no man can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him by the Spirit. So the Spirit draws us to the Word or draws us to Jesus. And through Jesus, the truth, we connect to the Father. The Trinity is an amazing thing. And they're in perfect unity. They don't fight. They don't disagree. They have the same will. One will, the will, highest will of God is how they operate. And C.S. Lewis called them in a dance. That's how they were in perfect unity, and they were always dancing, glorifying the Son of God, glorifying the other one. <clears throat> they never call attention to themselves. They always glorify the other. <coughs> Excuse me. Are you all understanding this a little bit? Next slide, please. In the Old Testament, the Bible talks about the cloud and fire. The cloud and fire led Israel out after Israel had left Egypt, after they had put the blood over the doorpost of their house on Passover night. They were led out, and God appeared to them in fire by night and a cloud by day. And this is a picture of the Holy Spirit, a picture, a type, a shadow God doesn't manifest himself in this regard anymore in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, this was a picture of the Holy Spirit. Next slide, please. The Bible says in Exodus 13, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. So as to go by day and night, he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. And that ties in in John 16. The Bible says, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. That's so important. I'll give you a quick bite of my testimony. This was back in 1987. 
I was searching for God with all my heart. I was looking for God. I was a desperate man. I was trying to live the life that I read in the Bible. In 86, a year prior, I had a near-death experience and given my heart to Jesus. And so I bought me a Bible and I started attending every kind of church imaginable looking for truth. But I couldn't live it. I would try hard. I knew it in my head and I could read all about it, but I couldn't live it. And I got so frustrated that I just gave up. I remember pitching my Bible in the corner of my office saying, I'm just going to go back to doing what I know how to do, and that's making money. So I just went back to work, and I flew to New York, and I was entertaining a customer, and I was really angry at God. And I was having a nice meal with the customer, and I was talking real loud and fast, trying to entertain this guy in a restaurant, a nice restaurant in New York. And an old man walked up to my table and pointed his finger in my face and said, son, the life you're pretending to live here tonight is not the life God's called you to live. He said, you've been searching for the Lord, and you've gotten frustrated and given up your search. I'm here to tell you to keep searching for him. So I looked at my customer, and his eyes were like saucers, and <laughs> he didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say, so I just looked at the man. And I said, sir, can I have your name and number where I can call you tonight when I'm through with my dinner? He said, son, you'll never see me again. He walked out of the restaurant. I couldn't wait to pay my bill and go to my hotel room. I fell on my face in repentance. And the Lord spoke to my heart. I didn't know this scripture, but he said to me right there, he said, son, if you'll trust me, I'll lead you into all truth. I'll lead you into all truth. It changed my life. I repented came home with a new determination, a new zeal, a new, I fasted five days. I was looking for God. I was seeking him. I had a hunger in my life. And this turned into what could be 1988 was the greatest year of my life because God quenched that thirst. He, he met my hunger. He, he baptized me in the Holy Ghost and uh, set me on fire for him. So we don't have a pillar of cloud and fire today, but we have the same Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us into all truth. Next, please. There's biblical metaphors in the Bible about the Holy Spirit. One's a teacher. King James says comforter. New King James says helper, an advocate, a counselor. He's also called the intercessor in the Bible. He's the wind, a picture, a metaphor, the wind, the dove, anointing oil, rivers of living water, tongues of fire, the giver of gifts, and fire itself. Our God's a consuming fire. Pictures of the Holy Spirit. Let me run through some of these real quick with you. Next, please. The Bible says in John 14, 16, I'll pray the Father and he'll give you another helper, is New King James. That word is paraclete in the Greek. Again, it's comforter, helper, counselor, advocate, teacher. He's someone else to stand by you. His task is to teach us about Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the executor of God's will on earth. You know, when you 
we're all going to die, and it's a good idea to have a will so your family won't be in chaos after it's all over. But in your will, you're going to trust someone to be the executor of your will, to carry out your wishes, to carry out your desire, your will. That's what the Holy Ghost does for God the Father and God the Son. He's the executor of the will of God here on this earth. Next slide. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you remembrance all things that I said to you. John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. These are the words of Jesus right before he left the disciples, right before Calvary. He was saying, look, guys, it's going to be to your advantage that I go away. He says, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. A lot of times we think it would have been so cool to live in the days when Jesus walked on the earth. But he's saying, hey, I'm giving you a better deal than that. Because there God was confined to a human body. And he only walked a few hundred miles from this one spot from where he was born his whole life. He never did go. He had to go to Egypt when he was a little child. But in his ministry, he didn't walk a lot of miles. He walked a lot, but it didn't go. It didn't get very far from home is what I'm trying to say. He was limited because he was in a human body. Now, God, the person who's just as much God as the Father and just as much God as the Son, God, the Holy Ghost, lives inside of you. And if you can ever understand how powerful it is and be able to tap into that, that power, that energy, that force, the Holy Ghost living inside of my life will convict me of any little wrongdoing and keep me walking in the Spirit, keep me walking in the will of God. Convict me of righteousness, of judgment. I love that. Next slide, please. The teacher, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whenever he hears, whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take, this is Jesus talking, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Speaking of the Comforter. Next, please. One thing he's going to teach you, one of the greatest ministries of the Holy Spirit, is to teach you that you're a child of God. You say, well, everybody knows that. Well, everybody doesn't live that way. When you learn that you're a child of the living God, I'm a son of the living God. I'm an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. When you realize how much God is, he's your, your daddy, He's for you and he's not against you. When you realize, you get a whole different view of God when you understand. So look at this verse, Romans 8, 14. For as many as led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. The Holy Spirit teaches us. He quickens us to our understanding as we go through life. I've been, I was a Christian many, many, many years before I got this truth quickened to me that I'm a son of the living God. 
that I got a place at the table of God. The family table, I've got a seat there. And I'm an heir, a joint heir with Christ. Do you realize the eternal ramifications of that concept to be a joint heir with Jesus Christ? I know people don't want to die, but I'm telling you, it's going to be glorious when we do. It's going to be fantastic on the other side. Next slide, please. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to another, that, so that you do not do the things that you wish. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the Spirit. That's like throwing cold water on a hot fire, quenching the Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 4.30. When you grieve, when you sin against God and you feel the grief in your spirit, it feels like a death. It, 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 there's nothing I hate worse than feeling the grief of the Spirit in my own life. People want to walk in the Spirit. Well, that means you're walking in the will of God. You're running toward God, not away from God. You're doing God's will, not your own will. You're going God's way, not your own way. You're walking in the Spirit with a good attitude of gratitude. Beloved, quench not the Spirit. Don't throw cold water on the fire. God wants to do something in your life. He wants to stir himself within you and kindle a fire in your heart where you can be on fire for Jesus Christ. You'll be on fire for God. You'll be a blazing testimony and a blazing witness for God. This is what God wants to do in our life. Man, I was so on fire that when I, in 1988, when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I was just on fire. I was a witness everywhere I went. You couldn't shut me up. I brought, I brought a carload of people with me to church every Sunday. I remember those days. You can remember those days when you first met him, when you first got baptized in the fire and how wonderful that was. God wants that for us today. We become lukewarm as, as a people. The, the whole church world we're living in, this dispensation we're living in is the Laodicean dispensation of lukewarmness, neither hot nor cold. God wants us hot. He wants us on fire and the exalted breath of Jesus Christ breathing his fire into us. Next, please. He's the intercessor, Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. For he who searches the heart's knows what the mind of the Spirit is because it makes intercessions for the saints according to the will of God. So to intercede simply means to stand in between. So he's standing in between us and God the Father. And he's praying for, if you'll let him, if you'll learn how to let the Spirit pray through you, he's interceding for you on your behalf. And he's praying perfect prayers. You know, if we analyze our prayer life it usually boils down to, God, take this pain out of my life. We pray for things that are coming against us that are painful in our life. 
And God may have been the one to put the pain in our life. And here we're trying to pray it away. So my point is, we don't know how to pray as we ought to pray. But the Holy Spirit prays a perfect prayer. He knows how to pray right in the center of God's will. So if you can learn to have time in the Spirit and pray in the Holy Spirit and let the Spirit intercede through you, then you're praying these perfect prayers to God. Can you imagine what God can do in your life? Next slide, please. He's the wind. Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter in the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. So he's a wind, a breath, a spirit. He's invisible. Do you let the wind of the Spirit push your sailboat through life? Next slide. Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. I give you two examples. You can go to England in a rowboat or a sailboat. <laughs> the rowboat would take a lot of energy and a lot of calluses on your hands, and it would take days and work, the work involved in rowing a boat. To the, across the Atlantic or you can take a sailboat and hoist a sail and let the wind blow you all the way to England one takes a lot of human energy and the other one just takes a lot of trust Amen. so it's what I can do versus what Jesus has already done what I can do is in the rowboat, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Like the little train going up the hill, I think I can do this. But man, it'll wear you out and you have calluses all over your hand and, and the number of problems that come with rowing a boat to England. Versus what Jesus has already done. See, it's, it's relation, religion versus relationship. Rowboat Christianity is like religion. All the things you're trying to do, the list you're making, the list you're checking off, all the things that you are trying to do to climb to the top of the ladder. But relationship is simply resting in the finished work of the cross, resting in what Jesus Christ has already done for us, and give, lifting your hands in praise and letting him blow your sailboat let him just let him take your ship all the way to the new city. Are you all out there? Next slide. He's also a dove. Next slide. When he'd been baptized, it's the same verse we just read. Jesus came up immediately from the water, and beholding the heavens opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting upon him. Didn't say the Spirit was a dove, this is a metaphor. It's ascending like a dove. But a dove will land in, the, in a clean place. Remember Noah's Ark, the dove lighted upon something clean. The earth was washed and clean. The dove wants to light in your heart, but he's looking for a clean heart, a pure heart to light there. The dove also brings order where there was chaos. The beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, 1, 
In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered, this is New King James, hovered over the face of the waters like a dove, hovering over the chaos. The world was without form and void, and Koshak darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the dove was hovering over. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. The spoken word came, and the light expelled the darkness. That's a picture of a lost person coming to Jesus with all the chaos in their life, with the empty place, no form and void, chaos, emptiness, confusion. And then the dove comes and hovers over your heart and prepares your heart and takes your chaos and returns it to order. And then God says, let there be light. He speaks truth into your life and you get born again. That's a picture of us as, as anxious Christians. Sometimes we need the Holy Ghost to come and just calm our anxieties down Amen. so we can hear the Word of God. Sometimes we can't hear and receive what God's trying to communicate to us on any given day because of anxiety and worry. Yeah. Next slide, please. Be not, Ephesians 5.18, be not drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of people are drink and drug That's to, because they got so much stress and anxiety in their life and pain in their life and hurt and sorrow in their life. They're trying to escape that pain. I understand why people drink and drug, but the Apostle Paul is saying there's a better way. All that drinking is going to do is make you see d double and act single anyway. <laughs> you don't need all that. There's a better way to go. He says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit of God will do for you what you're trying to find in a bottle of alcohol. It'll take your anxiety away. Amen. The Bible says in Philippians 4, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will, give your hearts, will guard your hearts and souls through Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit will take away your anxiety. He'll take care of that for you if you'll just trust Him with it and be filled with the Spirit. Next, please. He's in anointing oil. Exodus 8, he poured the anointing oil upon Aaron's head and anointed him to sanctify him. That was back when they were anointing Aaron to be the high priest in the new tabernacle that was just constructed. 1 Samuel 16, Samuel took the horn of oil, came up to David. Remember, David was with his brothers, and God was picking out who's going to be the next king. And he looked at all the older brothers and passed over all of them and came to David. And he said, it's not what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside here that matters. Here's, here's, here's was God's man. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. David had an anointing from that day forward after the prophet poured the oil on him. 
Isaiah 10, 27, it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. How many know it's the anointing that breaks the yoke? God wants to anoint you with the Holy Spirit. How to break any bondage you have in your life can be broken. I don't care. Maybe it's alcohol or drugs. That can be broken. Maybe some sexual perversion or some sexual sin, that can be broken. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. God wants to fill you with himself to purify your heart and break all the bondage and chains that hold you back. Next, please. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. This, Jesus said in his own words in Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Jesus had the Holy Spirit without measure. He had a full dose of the Holy, Holy Ghost. That rhymed, I couldn't resist that. Full dose of the Spirit. Why do we use oil? I just want to clear this up because we a lot of people get creeped out when you put oil in their head when you're praying for them. Look what it says in James 5.14. If is anyone among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. There's a lot of a lot of truth there, a lot of reality. God uses oil as a point of contact for your faith. God's trying to get you to believe. If you can believe, you can move mountains. If you can believe, you can speak to the mountain, it'll be cast into the sea. God's trying to get you to believe. So he wants us to use this oil because it's a picture of the Holy Spirit. Next, please. He's also a river of living water. This is my favorite metaphor. In Isaiah 44, it says, I will pour water on him who is thirsty and flood And floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your descendants and my blessings on your offspring. And they will spring up like, spring up among the grass like widows by the water courses. God wants to pour his spirit on us like a river of water. And if we're a dry desert place, all you got to do is loose the river of living water on a desert. And it'll become green and beautiful and grow. And maybe you're feeling a little dry. Well, God wants to release his, his living water in your life. So how do I get that water? How do I get that river? How do I? Jesus said on the, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So here he said clearly, if you're thirsty, drink of me. If you drink of me and believe, then out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. So I ask you, what are you thirsty for today? Do you want to see revival? Do you want to really experience revival? It starts with the hunger 
and a thirst. If we're thirsty for the world, it won't work. If we're thirsty for money, if we're thirsty for popularity, if we're thirsty for fame, we want everyone to love us. If we're thirsty for looking for love in a creature instead of the creator, if we're thirsty for the world, the flesh, the devil, it won't work. We got to get hunger and thirst in our life for Jesus. And Jesus said, you drink of me, you come and drink of me, and I'll loose a river of living water out of your life. Next slide. Thirst. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Psalm 63. Psalms 42, as a deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? How thirsty and hungry are you for Jesus? Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the water. When you have no money, and come, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Jesus said, come. Ye who are thirsty, and drink of me. Drink of the truth. Thirst for the truth. Thirst for reality. Thirst for Jesus. Nothing apart from him. Don't thirst for religion. Don't thirst for knowledge. Don't thirst for anything but him. And when you thirst and hunger for him, He's given us a promise here that he'll loose this river of life. I don't know about you, but I would like to see revival before I die. I want to see it where we're all on fire, where the whole congregation is convicted by the Holy Spirit, and we're repenting, we're confessing sin, and we're drawing closer to God. I want to see it where all of our lives come into unanimous worship and harmony as we're all on flamed inflamed for the love of God. Next slide, please. Then there's the tongues of fire. This is what scares people about the Holy Spirit. Tongues. In Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, this is speaking of the disciples, 120 that were in the upper room. Jesus said, y'all go there and you wait. You just wait on me because I'm going to come to you like you've never experienced it before. So y'all get ready. So when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So they had found unity. They had found this one accordness, all in one place. They're a diverse group of people, but they were in one accord. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing and mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and as one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This was supernatural. These, these were the same disciples that shrunk back in the Garden of Gethsemane, the same Peter that had denied the Lord when Jesus was getting persecuted and suffered and on trial. The disciples who had fled, they, they didn't want to be anywhere around the cross. 
Same bunch of cowards. Now all of a sudden, they were filled with the Spirit of God. And these same 11 men would now change the world as they would go out in their lives to be a living testimony on fire for Jesus. This can happen to us. Pentecost isn't something just happened one time in history 2,000 years ago. It can happen right here, right here, right now, today, in this place. Pentecost can happen. And don't be worried about tongues. Paul said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. The greatest apostles spoke in tongues all the time. If I'm feeling dead spiritually, I start praying. If I just start praying in tongues, it all of a sudden stirs something inside of me, and I feel a release, and I feel the power of God and the presence of God. Tongues are important, but I do that in my private prayer life. The Bible said, Paul said, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in unknown tongue. So he's saying in church, there's a place for tongues if there's an interpretation of the tongues. I'm not getting into all that tonight. I mean today. I'm just trying to tell you, don't be afraid of tongues. If you get baptized in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, I say ghost because I've been reading the King James Bible for 30-some years. I can't help it. When you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you know, God's going to give you a prayer language. And, and there'll be a tongue come out of your mouth, a heavenly tongue, an angelic tongue, a tongue that you don't understand. Don't be afraid of that. Just accept it for what it is and go with it. Amen. Next slide. I'm about to wrap up. He's a giver of gifts. I won't get into that, but he's got all the different gifts of the Spirit. And he does this to edify the body of Christ. He wants to give you a gift, a spiritual gift. So start praying for that. Read that passage here in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. He said in 12, 1, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. So he don't want you to be ignorant about gifts. He wants you to desire spiritual gifts, desire that you might prophesy, the Bible says. Next slide. And then the final metaphor is the fire. I indeed baptize you with water into repentance. This is John the Baptist speaking. But he who's coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus came to baptize us with the Holy Spirit and fire. I'm reminded of the story of the great prophet Elijah at Mount Carmel. And the Baal worshipers were there. And he said, well, let's each build an altar. And the God that answers by fire, let him be God. He said, then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So the Baal worshipers built their altar and their sacrifice, and no fire came down. The Bible says they even started cutting themselves, trying to make some fire come down out of heaven, trying to provoke their false god. But there was no fire because their god's not real. And Elijah built an altar and poured gallons and gallons of water all over it. And then when he prayed, the fire came and licked up the sacrifice and the stones and the water, and it consumed it all. 
The God that answers by fire was God, for the Lord God answered Elijah's prayer. And I'm telling you today, saints, we can be cold and dead and lukewarm, or we can be on fire. That on fire, you can't manufacture that, humanly speaking. That comes from on high. Next slide. In the tabernacle, we all think about the blood being sacrificed there all the time. Our, Our mind goes to the image of the tabernacle to the blood, because we understand that's what Jesus did for us at the cross. He shed his own blood that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty of our own sins. He paid it for us. He paid the price for us. Jesus did at Calvary. But in the tabernacle, not only was blood spilt on that brazen altar, but the fire was always burning, consuming everything they put on the altar. And this is how the Christian life should be. The fire should always be burning. As we repent, as we confess our sins, repent of our sins, get washed in the blood of Jesus, then the fire of the Holy Spirit will fall on us and baptize us and immerse us in himself. Next slide. This is the last one. This is where I started. He said in Luke 24, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the end of the earth. God's going to give you power. He's going to baptize you with fire if you'll just open your heart and receive the Holy Spirit. He said in Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. If we're empty, God wants to fill you. If your life is dry, he wants to loose this river of life, this stream of water into your heart. If you're dead and cold, he wants to baptize you with fire. You need a new anointing, an anointing that will break the yoke. I give you all these metaphors in the Bible because God's trying to communicate something with us here. He's trying to help us see. He's trying to help you understand an invisible Holy Spirit that's a person that wants to do something dynamic in your life. He wants to do something amazing in your life. So what do I got to do? You just got to let him in. Let him in. If you could just ask the Lord to cover you in his blood once again, to wash you in his blood and repent of anything that you feel like your life's not measuring up to his perfect will. Then open, raise your hands and open your heart and ask him just to fill you, refill you with his spirit. He'll do that. And I feel like that's where we are today as a church. And I'm not going to keep you. In fact, I'm going to dismiss you. If you want to go, you can go. But I'd like to ask our worship team to come. And we're going to spend a few minutes praying. Because I think this is too much on our heart right now to miss this opportunity. I think God wants to fill some people with the Holy Spirit today. Baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So if the worship team would come. And as they do, why don't you stand and we'll pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, forgive me for my ignorance in not having a close enough relationship with you as well as the Father and of the Son. 
So Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you to come and to revive our hearts. We need you to come and breathe your breath, your wind into our lives. We need you, Holy Spirit, to anoint us with an anointing that will break the yoke of sin in our life. We need you, Holy Spirit, to baptize us in your fire, baptize us in your love. Oh, Holy Spirit, come. Come, living water. Living water, come and flow into our desert place, into our dry place, and make our lives fruitful. Lord Jesus, help us to be immersed in the Spirit, to be baptized in the Spirit, to be baptized with your fire. Lord Jesus, I pray that if anyone here has never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, that you'd give them the faith and the courage to walk down to the aisle right now and that we could, Pastor Chad could lay hands on them and then receive. And if anybody just feeling a little empty and dry, I pray you give them faith to come down. They could walk down to the altar where you could just refill them, Lord Jesus, with thy spirit. Breathe on them, Lord Jesus, I pray. Shannon, Pastor Chad, if you'd come.